Welcome to Profiles. This is WFIU's program that introduces you to local and visiting artists, musicians, and scholars. Our guest today is conductor and pianist Vladimir Ashkenazi. It's quite a task to condense a 60-year career into a brief introduction, so I'll do my best. Here are a few highlights. His musical career began in the 1950s when he won second prize in the International Chopin Piano Competition in Warsaw, then first prize in the Queen Elizabeth Music Competition in Brussels. He went on to perform in front of many of the world's top orchestras as a piano soloist and also conducting from the piano, including groups like the Vienna Philharmonic, the Cleveland Orchestra, the London Symphony, that's to name a few. Over the past 20 years, he's switched his focus to conducting. His positions have included principal conductor of the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra and principal conductor of the Czech Philharmonic. He was the music director of the NHK Symphony Orchestra in Tokyo and now principal conductor and artistic advisor of the Sydney Symphony Orchestra. He regularly goes on tour with the European Union Youth Orchestra, for which he has served as music director and conductor since 2000. That's what has brought him to Bloomington, Indiana. The group is performing a series of concerts in the U.S. for the first time in over 20 years. Maestro Ashkenazi, it's such a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. And I haven't said my name yet. I'm Annie Corrigan. This is WFIU's Profiles. I did an okay job summarizing your career there. Is there anything else that you would like to add in as a highlight? Not quite a big thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about the group that you're performing with these days, the European Union Youth Orchestra. It's made up of 140 players between the ages of 14 and 24, drawn from all 27 member countries of the European Union. So first of all, what language are you speaking in rehearsals? English, of course. Everybody speaks English. So it's no problem. I don't think I could speak a bit of French, a bit of German, but it's not necessary. I think everybody speaks English, and it's it's a, a best uh, universe universal language now. Do you ever run into a problem where a a young musician just doesn't understand what you're trying to say? No, no, never. Uh, then I wonder. How did you get interested in working with young musicians in the first place? It's difficult to say. I remember that Mrs. Breyer, who is the lady with her husband, of course, Mr. Breyer, um, who had this idea of starting an orchestra of young musicians in in Europe, in in London. Uh, They started with something else, and in the end, I won't go into the whole history, uh, but it grew up. Into grew into this tremendous orchestra in the 30 years' time. And I remember once I was practicing in my uh, New York apartment. I had an apartment in New York because I spent so much time there. And suddenly Mrs. Breyer announced that she would like to come and talk to me uh, and asked me if I would go and uh, come and conduct this orchestra, the European Union Youth. At that time it was called European Community Youth Orchestra. Um, and I, I just began to conduct, and I was a bit shy and afraid that I might not be good for young musicians because I should really be clear and to know what I'm doing. And I said, well, Mrs. Bry, I think I should wait a few years until I can conduct reasonably well. But So she came to me again a few years later, how about now? I said, well, now I'll try. So I started. And it was about 20 years ago, I think. Well, I wonder what the difference is that you find between working with young musicians and working with someone who's been in an orchestra for 20 or 30 years. 
Well, there's almost no difference. Of course, these young musicians, they don't know the repertoire as well as professional musicians, obviously. But first of all, they learn very quickly. Secondly, before I come, they have their coaches who um, train them in the, maybe some of the new repertoire for them. So when I come, they already know everything. And they're very quick because they're very talented. You know, can you imagine? They have to compete. When they compete for the orchestra, it's like sometimes 50 young musicians for one place in the orchestra. So they really choose the very, 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 very best, you see. So when I come, they already, uh, and uh, there's no problem. O- occasionally, I tell, tell them, oh, listen to this or listen to that. Uh, but that happens with professional orchestras too. So they're really on a very high level. Let's talk to some young aspiring orchestral musicians then. As a conductor, to you, what makes a great orchestral player? <laughs> what can I say? Uh, I'll say um, all the very ordinary things. Uh, first of all, you have to be a very accomplished instrumentalist, of course. You have to know how to play your instrument very, very well. Otherwise, uh, you might as well do something else. And then, um, of course, have a very strong feeling for playing in a union of other musicians, not by yourself. I tell you, it's very interesting. I tell you one very good example. I once, when I was in my Moscow Conservatory, I was a student, uh, I think mm, the student orchestra, they always played once once a week. They had an hour or two hours rehearsal with with the conductor. And only every two weeks, I can't remember now, but I, I remember they were playing Shostakovich First Symphony. And of course, there's a piano part there, quite exposed. And I I was already very successful young. I already had a couple of prizes in Brussels, as you just announced. And I thought, I asked the conductor if he let me play the piano. He said, you ought to play piano, come and play with us. So I came to the rehearsal, and I couldn't play together. And I played... All out of time with the orchestra, it was embarrassing. And he stopped the orchestra and said, What is it? You're such a good pianist, you can't play together with us. I said, I'm terribly sorry. I, I never played with the orchestra in the orchestra. When I play solo, of course, I have to accompany. But here, you have to sort of see the conductor with the corner of your eye, listen to others, and be together. And I had to learn. Then I tried again. I was better. But, you know, it's a, it's a thing that you really have to learn. Acquire by practice practice by practice play there and you know how it is to be together and follow the conductor so that's very important of course otherwise <laughs> what's the point of being in the orchestra oh that's a great story have you played as an orchestral pianist in the orchestra have you done that much uh no my wife who is a pianist too uh once i was on a tour with a uh, Deutsche symphony orchestra berlin uh, we played the alpine symphony i think uh, there's a celeste part there and they said they have no Chilester musician. And, uh, but it is, it's a part that you always can't hear. It's in a tutti, in the, I think it's in a waterfall or something like that. And they said, do you mind if we go without a Chilester player? I said, you know, maybe my wife could play Chilester. Oh, okay, let's play. And she learned by memory. She prefers to do that than, rather than sight read. She learned by memory. In the first rehearsal, she said, I couldn't be together. But you can't hear it, you see. She said, but second, third rehearsal, I was already together. But it's so funny, just like me in uh, in the Shostakovich one. Exactly the same. She said, yes, you have to learn how to be together. Sort of see the conductor with the corner of your eye and try not to be ahead. Yeah? So... 
Well, and solo piano, playing a piano as part of an orchestra, and then accompanying all these different ways of playing the piano. Let's uh, just a, a quick question about being an accompanist. You've done that. You played the the Beethoven trios with Itzhak Perlman and Lynn Harrell. Yes, you recorded that. Well, that's not accompanying. That's a different story. Well, it's that, well, that that's chamber, chamber music. music. It's all together. We we decide how we play, and we know what is going to happen. It's not like to fit. Yeah, we, you sort of fit in sometimes, but sometimes they fit in with me. It's a different story from um, a, a piano in the orchestral situation. Well, then you worked with Lynn Harrell on the on the Beethoven, were the Brahms? Beethoven sonatas. I recorded with him. Yeah. So that that's obviously accompanying. What does it take to be a great accompanist? No, what, no, I don't think it's accompanying. I think when you um, play with a vocalist, that is more of a accompaniment because you have to breathe with the vocal vocalist, and I know how to breathe, <laughs> how to breathe with them. I never forget. I admired very much Sviatoslav Richter, the great Russian pianist, and his wife was a singer. She was a mezzo soprano, and I remember I came once to the concert where he accompanied her. And already then I could could see and hear how one should accompany. And then I asked him to, Svetoslav Richter, how is it? He said, it's very simple. You just breathe with them. That's all. And when you know when they breathe, you do it the same thing. So ever since I could accompany any singer, whether I conduct or play, because I breathe with them. And they always uh, comment on it. They said, how, how come you're always together? I said, well, I told, tell them the story with Richter. I said, I learned from him and his wife that... You have to breathe with them, then you can't, you can hardly go wrong then. Of course, you can never be sure, but that is the thing to do. Well, and that's what we do in an orchestra sometimes too, is we breathe together, especially in the wind section, to make sure we're all together. Well, that also, yeah, that's true too. But still, it's a bit different, but yes, yes, true. Since we're talking about young musicians, I'm wondering if there are any pieces of music, orchestral pieces, chamber pieces, solo pieces, that you think every young musician should know whether or not they've had a chance to play it. Oh, I, I, I can't answer this question. I don't know. They should start from the from the beginning, I suppose. If they hadn't played in the orchestra a lot, then Mozart, Beethoven would be very nice to start with, just to learn how to play together, because togetherness there is, you know, a very, um, what should I say, very obvious. I mean, it's all... Uh, extremely important. The rhythm is terribly important. Ensemble too. Uh, not that it isn't important in other places, but uh, of course in that music, very essential. There are very few changes of tempos, very few rubatos, you know, all different story. But it's very general, of course. You can argue about this too. Beethoven 9, after all, is not just 1, 2, 3, 4. <laughs> and the slow movement in Beethoven 3 also. Anyway, but basically, you know, what we call classical music, it's very important to be together in good rhythm. Uh, the shape is very important there. And then they graduate and um, go into other music where um, they have to realize phrasing and um, rubatos. I don't know. It's, it's so difficult to say, but this is the best I can answer quickly. No, that's absolutely fine. Well, let's get to a piece of music because this is what this show is all about, is hearing some music that you've either performed or conducted. So... Uh, Something that we're going to hear on this tour with the European Union Youth Orchestra is the Alpine Symphony by Richard Strauss. It's a huge orchestra. It's a long piece, huge orchestra, and it's one of the least performed of Strauss's tone poems. So why did you program this for the tour? Well, um, uh, it's very simple to answer this question, of course, uh, because, you see, one of our important points in 
managing this orchestra in continuing um, uh, this uh, very extraordinary group is that we want to be of service to as many musicians as we can, you see. Therefore, the pieces for huge orchestras are very attractive to us. We, we can employ so many young people. Otherwise, if we only play Mozart Symphony, well, well, how many people can we have, you know? So we tend to go into basic um, post classical repertoire, basically. Of course, we do sometimes Beethoven Symphony. Beethoven 9 we've done, of course, with a few extra musicians. Of course, he had very few when he had it. Um, and he couldn't hear it in any case. He was deaf. <laughs> you know, when fin they finished first performance, they said, Mr. Beethoven, it's finished. Oh, okay. And he went to bow. Can wow. you he didn't know it was finished. Couldn't hear a thing? He didn't know it finished. And it finished on Fortissimo. He couldn't hear that. No. Well, there you are. It's sobering, sobering. And you know, and we complain sometimes about our life. I can't imagine our lives. And he, one of the greatest ever composers, he couldn't hear a lot of his music from about 1815 or so, almost nothing. And then nothing. His last piano sonatas, nothing. Last quartet, nothing. Mrs. Solemnis, nothing. Beethoven 9, nothing. How about that? And never complained. In his music, you never feel it. I'm tragically more miserable. Never. He tried to overcome it. To, he tried to overcome it in his music. And he tried to give a good spirit of his life. Even, even, in, even in 110, in the, um, you know, Arioso Dolente, uh, even then, the end is still exuberant. Amazing. So he says, yes, things can be miserable, but you have to overcome it. And I do. So how about us? And we complain about some trivialities, you know? And I think shame on us, you know? Well, we're going to start the Alpine Symphony at the very beginning and then just play a portion of it. We can't play the entire thing. Performed here by the Cleveland Orchestra. Music by Richard Strauss. That was the Alpine Symphony. The Cleveland Orchestra was led by our guest today on WFIU's Profiles, conductor and pianist Vladimir Ashkenazi. So let's go way back to the very start of your musical career. You were a pianist. And then recently you decided to try conducting and have been incredibly successful. So why switch to conducting in the first place? <laughs> what drew you to conducting from the piano? Uh, it's very simple, actually. Um, I started playing the piano when I was six. My father was a pianist, and one day when I was falling asleep, my mother said, would you like to do some music? <laughs> yes. 
And she said, what would you like to play piano? Of course, if your father is a pianist, you say piano. So he took me to a piano teacher, and I was so quick on the piano that when my father, my father always traveled, he was a pianist, a light music pianist. He comes a few weeks later, and he says, I'm playing already a few pieces. <gasps> How come? So he never taught me. I always had my teachers. And I progressed terribly fast as a pianist. When I was eight, a classmate of mine was a violinist whose father played in the State Symphony Orchestra in Moscow. And I, he said, would you like to come to a concert with me? Of, well, my father played. He played second violin in the State Symphony Orchestra. I said, yes, of course, I would like to. So, and that was the first time I heard the symphony orchestra, and I was absolutely bowled over. I heard, I think, Tchaikovsky symphony. It was an um, afternoon concert for, for young people, and I'll never forget it. I was absolutely finished by then. So after that, imagine I started, I started going to orchestral concerts like crazy. Um, I, whenever I could buy scores of uh, Tchaikovsky symphony, Beethoven symphonies, I would buy them. In Russia, there were very few scores I could, you could buy. But when I started traveling, uh, when I was 17, 18, I bought, brought home suitcases of um, Western LPs and scores. And I became an object of envy from many musicians who traveled much less than I did. And I lend them, of course, my LPs and scores and so on. So that's where, how it dates my incredible, not even infatuation, or just kind of admiration of the symphony orchestra and the uh, wish to be there together with the, with the orchestral playing, orchestral concerts. I never, ever, ever thought that I would conduct. Absolutely not. Some people realize that I'm absolutely crazy about orchestral music and the repertoire, because there's so much great music, I don't need to say anything. I'll never forget, for instance, the first time I heard um, Don Juan, Richard Strauss. It was almost not played in Russia, because you know, the war was Germany, and, Don, and uh, Richard Strauss was considered a sort of... Uh, reactionary composer, I don't know what. You know, in the Soviet Union, heaven knows what they said. Uh, Stravinsky wasn't allowed until 1962, and suddenly it was allowed because Hrenikov, our, uh, the chairman of the Union of Soviet Composers, decided to invite him without telling the party people. Can you imagine? He was a communist. He didn't tell the Central Committee he's inviting Stravinsky. Stravinsky came. He was so enthusiastic to have come to Moscow because he was from St. Petersburg. He was delighted to be invited. Suddenly he was the greatest Russian composer all over, you know. It was such a stupid situation in the Soviet Union. I can't tell you. It's good you didn't live there. But in a way it's an experience that you never forget, you know. And then, Anyway, to continue my story, how I be became a conductor, one day Rozdestinsky, you know, the famous Russian conductor, who was already... Established, an established conductor, he realized that I'm interested in orchestral music. Not interested, I was just identifying myself with it. Uh, he said, why don't you conduct? I said, well, I, I don't... Oh, come, come, prepare something. He gave me some piece. I can't remember what it was. Come to my house, and you, I'll play and you conduct, and I'll tell you what to do. I said, no. I said, I, did. I promised to come, and then I canceled it. Oh, no. <laughs> so I didn't want to do it. And then... When I got married, um, we got married in 1961 in Moscow. We stayed in England in 1963. Because my wife was Icelandic, but she always lived in London from uh, the end of the war. And her father was a conductor. 
not a famous conductor, he conducts some amateur orchestras, and one day, knowing that I'm so crazy about orchestral music, said, why don't you conduct my orchestra? I said, oh, no, I don't know how to conduct. Oh, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll, I'll teach you. What do you want me to conduct? I said, Coriolan, Beethoven, Coriolan. So he told me what to beat at the beginning. I couldn't really do it, but I did conduct that concert, a concert uh, first half, Haydn Violin Concerto with a friend of mine and Coriolan. It was pretty terrible, of course. <laughs> but then the orchestra said, you know, yeah, maybe you just learning how to conduct. But there were some wonderful moments, and we liked it very much. I said, no, I'll never conduct again. So I'll cut my story short. Next time I conducted was in Iceland. We moved to Iceland. And one day I invited Daniel Barenboim and Pinkus Tuckerman to come and play uh, two concerts with the local orchestra. Uh, Daniel to conduct, I would play a concerto, and Pinky would play something with Daniel conducting. So I wasn't um, planning to conduct myself. But Pinky didn't come. He was ill. And Daniel says, well, I don't want you to... I don't want to conduct the next concerto. Why don't you conduct? I'll play Beethoven concerto. So I accompanied him in that second concert when Pinky couldn't come. And I accompanied quite well, but I knew the Beethoven concerto, of course. And then the orchestra said, why don't you come and conduct us? here and there and whatever. So I did. That's how it started, basically. And one day, the word got around and the Philharmonia Orchestra in London uh, decided to try me. (laughs) And that's the last thing I tell you. Because then your career takes off. And and from that point, it took off little by little, step by step. But that was a very important point. I conducted Manfred, the Manfred Symphony of Tchaikovsky in the Festival Hall. Of course, I couldn't conduct it terribly well with my um, very primitive conducting technique. But they played very well, and I had very good uh, critical response, even good reviews in the London papers, which was amazing. I never expected it. But uh, obviously, we played quite well some, somehow. <laughs> so after the concert... I invited them to a party. I gave them some champagne, you know, in the in the festival hall reception rooms. And uh, most of them came, actually, but more than half of the players came, which was very sweet. I took some of them aside in the corner. I said, tell me honestly, it's very hard to play with me because I'm, oh, you know what, doesn't matter. Amazing! I we like what you're trying to do, and we understand it, and we loved playing with you. Please come back, they said. You know, they didn't need me because they had many good conductors. I I was so touched by it, so I, I always came back, and now I'm uh, I even have a title with them, uh, laureate conductor or something. I conduct them every year, a few times, and we have a very good relationship. Well, that's how it began. Well, thank you for telling that story. That's phenomenal. What a what a journey you've had, basically. But I never tried to become a conductor. It just evolved, you know. It probably had to be. So I never had a, an idea that I would conduct. Absolutely never. And it just happened. And I, I'm very happy that I can do both, play the piano and conduct. Amazing. I'm just grateful to my destiny, to my fate, you know. I'm curious about conducting an orchestra from the piano as you're a piano soloist in a Beethoven concerto or a Mozart concerto. To me, it seems incredibly difficult to be playing a concerto and yet 
managing 100 musicians at the same time. Is it as hard as it looks? Well, first of all, never 100. Mozart and Beethoven, not so many. But you're right, quite a few musicians. They're sitting around you. They're professionals, of course. They know what's happening. But remember, Mozart and Beethoven... Uh, rhythmically is not so difficult, basically. And they're usually very good musicians who played these concertos hundreds of times. You know, they know what's going to happen. So it's not as complicated as one might think. But of course, nothing is simple. <laughs> of course, we we listen to each other. But Beethoven must have played like this too, without conductors. So it was possible then, it's possible now. If you're reasonably civilized musician, you can do it. You know, it's it's not. Uh, Brahms is more difficult. I've tried Brahms one finale. I managed without a conductor, up, but with a great orchestra, of course they will follow because they played it a hundred times with different solos. They know exactly what to listen to. And it was absolutely together. We did it for television. They asked me, can you do something more complicated? I said, well, well how about Brahms one finale? I said, well, I don't know. We can try. We rehearsed. No problem. Amazing, you know. But, uh, of course, some others, Chopin would be difficult because there's so many rubatas, so many changes, this and that. You have to nod your head a little bit too often, and it, it's disturbing for playing, you see. Rachmaninoff? Uh, also, that would be very difficult. Too tough. Very difficult. But I've never tried. You know, some of it may be possible, uh, but it, it's more difficult because you know that you can't be absolutely free. You have to really indicate everything. Oh, but I've never tried. Uh, no point. I don't think so. Well, it's time to listen to another piece of music. This is exactly what we're talking about, because this is you performing the Beethoven Piano Concerto Number no. 2, conducting from the piano. We're going to hear the first movement. This is B-flat major, opus 19. You wrote the cadenza for this as well. So do you have any aspirations of composing? Uh, no, no. I wrote the cadenza only because his cadenza, as we all know, doesn't fit his concerto. It's a much later cadenza. It's a wonderful piece of music, but it doesn't fit the early second, which was, in fact was the first concerto, very early. And the cadenza is like for something like 101 or something, or 106 music already. You know, and we, I always felt that it kind of doesn't fit the piece, you know. So I composed my maybe mediocre cadence, but at least it fits, you know. It's okay. <laughs> Let's take a listen to it. This is a performance by our guest, Vladimir Ashkenazi. <laughs> Music by Beethoven on WFIU's Profiles. That was the Allegro con Brio movement from the Piano Concerto Number no. 2 
by Beethoven, the Cleveland Symphony Orchestra was conducted from the piano by our guest, Vladimir Ashkenazi. Production support for Profiles comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922, with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. You've worked with the Cleveland Orchestra a lot. We heard the Alpine Symphony, and then this was the Cleveland Orchestra as well, the Beethoven. You have a special rapport with that group? Well, they they liked playing with me. I have no idea when I I wasn't conducting much yet when I was when I was asked to to record with the Cleveland Orchestra by Decca Records. Uh, we did um, Prokofiev Cinderella. They asked me to record with them. So I can't conduct them. I couldn't conduct terribly well yet. I'm much better now. But they were so nice to me and so kind, unbelievable. They said, yes, it's okay. We understand everything you want to do. No problem. I knew it was a bit problematic, but they were terribly kind, unbelievable, just unbelievable. And ever since they asked me to come and conduct, I could act better and better and better. So it wasn't such a great pain for them eventually. Um, but Cinderella was the first thing, and they played so well. I could have done it better now, because I knew better what to do. But it wasn't too bad. They followed very well, and of course they played magnificently. It's a great orchestra. So I was very grateful to them. Never forget it. Let's talk about collaborating with a soloist, or if you're conducting, or if you're being a soloist, the collaboration process. I wonder how that works. Does the soloist eventually make the decisions? Does the conductor get creative license when performing a piece? No, the soloist, of course. I, I have the principle, absolutely. Soul is so exposed. Soloist has uh, his or her own concept. And to, to influence it in the one or two rehearsals would be um, not very intelligent by the conductor. You don't do that. I know some situations when conductor even refused to accompany because it didn't fit what they thought of this particular piece, concerto or something, or told the soloist what to do or else. You, you can't do that because you're so exposed to the soloist. You learned it in this way. Your mind is relating to what you learned already. To change it uh, seriously, it's very difficult. Maybe one or two phrases, okay. But but some conductors can be quite mean. I'm not mean. I'm a soloist myself. I know what it is, <laughs> how difficult it is to play any instrument. I mean, my instrument, I don't know about others. I'm sure it's difficult, too, <laughs> of course. And I, I have great sympathy for them, and I'm totally with them. Whatever you want to do, I will do. Occasionally, I might say, how about doing this or that? You always said, no, I can't do it. Okay, you can't do it. So I'll do what you want to do. And that's all very simple. Do you ever get approached with another soloist performing a piano concerto that you know so well, doing it differently than you would have done it and having a hard time wrapping your brain around it? Uh, n- no. You know, first of all, I don't think that my interpretation is the last word. Um, I sometimes learn from my very talented colleagues. I thought, I sometimes I conduct, oh, what a good phrase, why didn't I think of that? You know, um, very occasionally, very, very occasionally, I disagree with something, and I very politely say, how about doing this or that? Once or twice, Penis said, no, I will do it like this. I thought, well, too bad, I have to do it. (laughs) Never mind. You're such a good storyteller. I'm wondering if you can tell us a story 
about a conductor or a soloist that you've worked with in your career that you had an especially great experience or relationship with? I'm putting you on the spot. Many. I don't know. I played a lot of Andre Previn, and it was absolutely wonderful to play with him. Oh, he's a great pianist himself, as you know. And um, he was a, always a good friend. He is, of course, but I don't see him now, so I don't mean he was. He is. Um, um, but I wish I could see him more often, but it's not happening now. I played with him so, so many concerts and recorded so many, and I never regretted one second of of playing with him. Wonderful. And I recorded with him Rachmaninoff music for two pianos, which was so easy, like like we almost didn't have to rehearse. Absolutely unbelievable. Of course, he's a terrific pianist, a terrific musician, both. So it's a great privilege. Who else? Zubin Mehta is a wonderful accompanist, absolutely wonderful accompanist. Um, Sixten Erling, the Swedish conductor, was a wonderful accompanist. Michael Tilson Thomas also. I always enjoyed listening to his. I never played with him, but um, I always enjoyed his um, uh, conducting, and um, he invites me to San Francisco Orchestra. I conduct quite a lot, so it's a very good contact I have with him. I'll never forget... Shall I tell you a nice story? Oh, I played with Karayan. That was wonderful. Only once. Played Beethoven 4. Shall I tell you the story? Please. Uh, and that was Beethoven 4, I'll never forget. And the Berlin Philharmonic, you know. You can't do much better. Um, we rehearsed the first movement. Uh, he wasn't in a terribly good mood because it was uh, that period when he wanted Christina Meyer to be the first clarinet in his orchestra. Uh, usually, when Berlin Philharmonic tries another musician uh, with a view of joining the orchestra, the musician has to play the orchestra for two years. And then they decide yes or no. And Christina Meyer somehow just was put there by Karayan and, and the then manager of the orchestra without the trial period. And they resented it very much. So, and just at that time, I'm playing with Karayan. He was very miserable, didn't know how to what to do, with how to behave, what to do. He was really, he even said at one point, well, I don't know, maybe it's the last concert I'm conducting with this orchestra, something like that. Anyway, we rehearsed Beethoven 4, and I played my entrance, ta -ta 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 -ta, and then Tutti comes, and the oboe plays much shorter than I played my entrance. I didn't say anything at that time. After the first moment, I came to the maestro and said, um, you know, the orchestra plays much shorter than I do. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to play shorter or what? I'm used a bit longer. He said, oh, pe -pe 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 -pe. Her, her Koch, that was her Koch. Please, Langer bit, Langer did this note and pop. So he asked me to play longer, you know. So I don't know whether he did because he was fed up with them or because he thought my length was better. Never mind, but he did that. <laughs> and then... My wife and my son, who is a clarinet player, they were in the audience at the rehearsal time, sitting in the hall. That was allowed, but nobody else, only your uh, relatives would be allowed. And um, in the break, I introduced them to him and said, this my son, clarinet player. Oh, we need clarinet players in my orchestra, he said. <laughs> so he had enough humor, you know. Um, Klemperer, I played with Klemperer Brahms too. And he was terrific, very slow. At the rehearsal, I played the second one, and slower already. Oh, so I did slower. And then he said, 
would you like some different tempos? I said, no, no. I knew it was no use. But he conducted beautifully, of course. When I played a very difficult passage in the second movement, do you remember? He was sitting on it. He couldn't stand. He was very old. And he moved in his chair and looked at me on the, on his left side, looking at my keyboard. When I played the passage, bravo! And then, pam, 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 yeah. Second rehearsal, the same thing. I thought he won't do it at the concert, you know, concert to concert. He looked again <laughs> at me. I'm playing with all the audience and everything. I thought he wouldn't shout. No, he said, bravo. He, said, he whispered, but his whisper was quite strong, you know. <laughs> uh, you need to write a book of all these stories. This is great. I suppose, yes, I probably could. Wow, thank you for telling those. Those are yeah. fantastic. I'm wondering about your daily life as a musician, if I can ask you about this. How do you manage your practice time, learning scores, and yet keeping up your chops as a pianist? Um, well, I plan very carefully. I don't plan very exposed concerts or recordings during uh, my periods with orchestras, never. But I know I can practice in any case. If you want to practice, you always find an hour or two. Even today I practiced one hour. Tomorrow, probably a couple of hours, because it's, I have more time tomorrow. Um, but on tour, it's very difficult. Sometimes you can't practice. But I don't think I miss more than one day, occasionally two days. I always find a way, uh, because you always are preparing new repertoire or something. So I, I'm, I'm a very devoted worker, you see, by my nature somehow. I feel that if I plan to do something, I better do it. So... Uh, but at home, when I'm at home or on, on holidays, of course, I can practice as much as I want. So I, pre- I plan very carefully and not, as not to do anything uh, silly, you know, to, to plan something. And, and then at the, when it comes, you can't prepare it. I don't do that. But you plan very carefully. Mm-hmm. Then if you knew, even if you didn't find time to practice, you know... It's nothing tragic that you planned so carefully that it doesn't matter so much. But, um, well, enough said. What are you working on now for the future? Uh, Well, now I promised to record um, uh, the... I record the six partitas, and um, now I'm recording the so-called seven partitas, the Franzosische Overture. That's like partita uh, in uh, B minor. It's like seventh partita, but it's not. It's called. Yes, yes it's Francois Overture. Eh? It's in B minor. It's a, it's like seventh partita. It's about half an hour long. It's a very long partita, maybe even thirty-two, thirty-three minutes. A beautiful music, absolutely fantastic. Last moment is echo, very unusual for Bach. Echo. So you're practicing Bach and yes. you're conducting Strauss. What a yes. great range of musical history. That's great. Uh, not only Bach. I'm practicing. I'm also recording with my clarinet player son uh, an interesting CD that is a kind of the basic title of the CD is fantasy pieces. So we're doing a Schumann fantasy Stücke for clarinet and piano, opus 73. Then Reinecke fantasy Stücke, opus 22. Very rare. A good composer, actually. Very good composer, Reinecke. He lived until something like beginning of the 20th century. Um, and then some other pieces um, I can't remember now. But it's a fantasy uh, CD. So I'm learning that also. And I think uh, 
uh, I will record the two Rachmaninoff trios in the next nine months uh, with some of my friends uh, in London. Uh, and I've never played those, so I have to learn those. That's quite a lot to learn. Rachmaninoff is always a nightmare, you know. You've got a lot on your plate. <laughs> and that's what is so fascinating and interesting. So you said you're recording this with your son? Um, this um, clarinet, the, the clarinet, yes. I just recorded with my... I have two musician sons, two sons musicians. One pianist, one clarinet player. The musician's son, his name is the same as mine, Vladimir. But he's called Vovka. That's a, one of the diminutives. In Russia, we have about 100 diminutives to every name, you know. So it's like Vladimir is Vova, Vovka, Vovka, Vavule, Vovanchik, heaven knows what. Anyways, he's Vovka. Do you have a good working relationship with him? Yes, we played quite a few concerts. We did a Japanese tour not so far ago, and um, not too long ago, what am I saying? And we're going to do... We had quite a good success in inviting us again to do a Japanese tour in Tokyo, too. So we're playing in 2014. We're playing, we're playing again a tour, and I recorded with him two CDs, one of French music, one of Russian music. We might do even more, I don't know. You're learning new music, but for the music that you've played... 50 and 100 times. Yes. Can you find new things to discover in the pieces, or is it just like going on autopilot? No, no. You always have some, I think you always have some fresh attitude, and you probably discover something new even without knowing it, because it's never a routine. Absolutely never. Well, I'm excited to play a piece performed by you on the piano all by yourself. We're going to end our afternoon today with you with this piece. What is it about the music of Chopin that you love so much? You recorded the entire collection of Chopin piano pieces. To talk about such a genius is really superfluous. What can I say? Um, especially his late music from the false scherzo, false ballad and Polnes fantasy and Barcarolle, late nocturnes. Um, it's beyond evaluation. All his music is so unbelievably talented, but for me especially his late music. And, you know, when he was invited, at least that's what I read, that when he was invited to the premiere of Tannhäuser in Paris, he said, I heard some of it. I'm not interested. I'm already past it. See, harmonic, harmonically and melodically, he was past it. But Many people don't realize it because, you know, um, especially people who are not pianists, orchestral players, and so on and so forth, they very seldom listen to a lot of Chopin, you know. We play it, and the public, of course, knows a lot of Chopin. And it is absolutely true. He was way ahead harmonically, melodically, and spiritually, too. He was at a very high spiritual level. And to my mind, at that point, he was on a higher spiritual level than Wagner Stanhauser. But, of course, uh, the acolytes of Wagner would never accept it. <laughs> never. But he was. There's no question about it. You know, Liszt wrote a big book about Chopin, you know? He was so fond of him. And he wasn't afraid to say so. Liszt was not untalented chap, wasn't he? He was very <laughs> talented and very successful. And yet, he had enough... In him, he was a very generous person to understand how great Chopin was. I, my hat is off to list. I have that book, and he's so unbelievably 
wonderful to Chopin in that book. Absolutely. There's a genius. The hats off. Like Schumann did when Schumann first heard Chopin. He had hats off. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, he is a genius. What would you recommend we play to give an example of Chopin's genius? Or something late, like Nocturne Opus 62, which is a miracle. Um, Polnes Fantasy, Barcaro. Uh, you can't have more elevated than that music. It's it's unbelievable in every possible way. Let's go on that. <laughs> Vladimir Ashkenazi, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming in. It's been amazing to speak with you. My pleasure. Very inspiring. Thank you. This has been WFIU's Profiles. I'm Annie Corrigan. Thanks for listening. The program you just heard was recorded in April of 2012. The studio engineer and technical producer was Michael Paskash. Production support for Profiles comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922, with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Copies of this or other programs can be obtained by calling 812-855-1357. Information about profiles, including archives of past shows, can be found on our website, wfiu.org. Profiles is a production of WFIU and comes from the studios at Indiana University. Mia Partlow, producer. Please join us again for the next edition of Profiles. For WFIU, thanks for listening.